This is Fizz Free. This one might have you laughing <laughs> and crying. Probably should have had counselling for this, I've come to realise. Meet Fizz Free co-host Jane. I'm a saint. I'm such a hero. Come on, I deserve a reward. A working mother of two in her mid-40s. Don't challenge me, don't question me, literally like this is my medicine. And a year and a half sober at the time of recording. I didn't want to be sober, like one of them boring, awful sober people. <laughs> I can't commit to being off the stuff for life. In this episode, Jane opens up to Claire about her journey with alcohol. Oh, do you know what? This is my, um, this is my like deepest, darkest shame. From growing up in a pro-drinking military environment. Why are grown-ups always so thirsty all the time? Emigrating into a party lifestyle. That would be a half a bottle of vodka before leaving the house. To coping with a traumatic start to motherhood. Everything just felt so confusing and like pointless. Hear how Jane got sober after several years and multiple attempts to cut down. Oh my God, I'm totally being called out. I suppose the Americans would call that like an intervention, right? I'm surely able to just simply not bring a glass to my lips. How hard can that be? And what Rishi Sunak and Enrique Iglesias have to do with it? It's the idea that if you don't fancy something, you're never going to crave it. Life's just more peaceful. This is Fizz Free. I'm quite looking forward to doing this. I haven't really spoken about any of this stuff to anyone, been very hesitant and very nervous to sort of share my story because it's just had so much shame and so much secrecy. But in this day and age, as we're learning to talk about mental health and drag things out into the light, um, I think that's a really valuable thing. So I'm hoping the point of this uh, sharing is maybe anyone else that's trying to change their relationship with alcohol, perhaps it just helps in any way, shape or form. No one's judging anybody. It is. I think when I've listened to podcasts, I've never judged that person. All right, well, I thought I'd start at the beginning. So um, as a child growing up, I had a happy, secure childhood, two parents, an older brother, um, a military background, moving house a lot, changing schools a lot, but no trauma, nothing upsetting, and alcohol very present, actually. Alcohol everywhere. Lots of hanging around at military locations, cans and cans of beer, to the point I actually remember asking out loud one time, why are grown-ups always so thirsty? Gosh, these grown-ups are so thirsty all the time. So that's like an early memory of, um, of alcohol in my lifestyle and just it being glamorised on posters and totally normalised back in the, the 80s. Um, I first tried alcohol around the age of 14, 15, around that sort of age, two sort of standout incidents. One at school when the year above me, the fifth form, were leaving and they had snook um, some whiskey into the school and I can only have had a few sips but I remember thinking whoa I feel so chilled I feel so cool wow and being well tipsy <laughs> and that's did it feel like a positive yeah I was like now I know why people drink alcohol I feel whoa like I'm floating and it was I loved it and also around that same year around that summer um, I think my dad also started buying me the odd um, drink if we were going out as a family like after a meal they'd all get drinks and they would buy me like a, a a vodka and tonic for example around 15 and again I would have that and I think he actually bought me a double and again I remember thinking I feel amazing so I sort of went into it totally all on board with thinking yeah this feels great so that was a bit of a worry sorry I'm just interjecting at yeah. that point of um, you having a few drinks and a lot of the adults around you drinking a lot. Did you ever see anybody drink to excess that you knew that they'd had a drink and understood the implications of that, that it that it changed their personalities or anything? No, I don't think I did. I just thought people are cheerful and happy. chatty. Yeah, it just looks happy and I want a bit of that. That looks fun to me. No negative connotations at this point, no. is there? No, not at all. And I, I was on board with that. So um, this then took into no, college, sixth form, um, 17, 18, and having maybe a couple of cans of beer at a weekend with friends. And again, that just being comfortable, fairly steady, nothing crazy, but being aware that it could clout you, you know, feeling the effect of that occasionally. And then that led on to sort of university into like late 
uh, teens, early 20s. And at that point, I was then, you know, drinking to go out properly um, once or twice a week, mostly weekends, and started to sort of preload. So drink in my university room before we'd go out to save money. And, and again, I just remember enjoying that. I remember putting on my makeup, my music was blasting, I was pouring a drink, I was excited for my night, I felt like I looked good. So again, all, all positive at that stage. And I was aware that I would drink faster than other people. And I was aware that I'd go to the bar and sink two in the time it would take person next to me to sip one. But I didn't have any alarm bells at all. I was out, I was having fun, I was having a great time. Any hangovers, any... Yes, I had them. Negatives at this point. I had them, but I rolled with them. And I must say, even when my drinking got really heavy, I was able to handle them pretty well. Um, But yeah, I was having blackouts, you know, which is when you're out and you've drunk that much, you don't remember parts of the night. I had the occasional morning of waking up with vomit and still thinking, that was a heavy one, bit less tonight or the next time we go out. And it just being absorbed as sort of university student Part and parcel of the experience, really. But worryingly, that puts you in very vulnerable positions. There were plenty of nights I couldn't quite remember getting into a club. So I I do think at that stage, I was hitting it, but I, I, and it was making me a little vulnerable. But again, you're talking early noughties here, around 2000, 2001, two, it being very generally accepted in a sort of a student mindset and and so I was mainly drinking then at weekends it was mostly weekend drinking maybe a night out on a Wednesday midweek but I certainly wasn't drinking every night and at this point was there any scary time so maybe a bloke that you might have just met in a club that you thought actually I probably wouldn't have chatted to him for so long or I was cocky no. with bouncers, Claire. I would I would argue with the bouncers, which is never yeah. a good idea, is it? No. <laughs> and, um, yeah, just being a little more um, reckless, perhaps. As I say, putting yourself in vulnerable positions, having blackout moments. Um, yeah, there were moments I was thinking, this stuff's pretty hard, but, um, but totally buying into the fact that I liked it and this is normal. So, like I said, that was like weekend drinking and maybe... Uh, a night midweek or so but definitely preloading the concept of starting to sink one or two before a night out and those getting bigger and I remember like later in student years that would be a half a bottle of vodka before leaving the house I would leave and think oh I've overdone it a bit I'm actually well on my way and then and I'd think oh I really mustn't have much tonight I must have saved loads of money but guess what went and ordered exactly the same amount of drinks and then yeah. wouldn't remember the end of the night at all because I had cheerfully at the age of 20 left the house at nine o'clock at night on half a bottle of vodka looking amazing feeling amazing from what I've what I recall but thinking ooh, I was supposed to save some of that for another night and I haven't oh wow and just already a dicey relationship with alcohol emerging putting was it anybody enabling you at that point did you have a friend that was just you know drinking the same amounts or yeah. was you going out with different people or yeah, yeah and it's that's a really interesting question I was going out with a mature student quite often um she had come back to university so she was about 15 years older than me and I remember thinking well she drinks really heavy gosh you know when I hang out with her she can really put them away and so I didn't feel mega heavy drinker alongside her so yeah we we would drink together when we went out together it was all systems go and I had no qualms with what we were doing because I felt like she drank heavier than me um that leads into sort of another chapter of like leaving university it was around that time I met my husband and we emigrated and this is where things I think then switch up another level so you know, we, we left England, we get brought into a Mediterranean lifestyle and we were out, we were socialising, we were sunbathing, we were eating tapas, we were doing karaoke, had a great little circle of friends who had also emigrated, so we were sort of supporting each other and it was really exciting, you know, in like the, the late noughties. And the thing is, in this Mediterranean lifestyle, the alcohol is cheap, 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 cheap. You could easily buy a one litre bottle of vodka for the best part of five pounds 
You're looking That's at bottles. crazy, mm-hmm. isn't it? Five pound. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, less even. The really pokey, wonky Russian label ones, you're looking even less. Four pound or three pound eighty or something. A bottle of um, nondescript wine produced obviously locally in, in this part of the world. Two euros, easy peasy. Stock up on a few of them, maybe one euro fifty. So obviously that's very enabling there's no deterrent to alcohol consumption when it's just cheaper than fruit (laughs) yeah absolutely so i'd say at that stage a really exciting lifestyle everything going really generally well um i would be drinking a couple of nights a week at that stage so always at the weekends without a question but instead of maybe one night a week it would be a couple of nights here or there But I was still able to go a few nights without drinking and it wasn't a mega effort because I recognised that people don't drink every night and that wouldn't be normal. I suppose it's kind of like a transition at this point from, Mm -hmm. you know, just drinking as you would at at university, yes, to excess. And it sounds like you can handle it at that stage. Mm -hmm. But you're still socially drinking, aren't you, at at this point, really? So it's when you're going out, it's with other people. Yeah, Yeah, exactly, exactly. And if it was a drinking at home... Um, with my boyfriend, um, it would it would be all right. I would always have more than him, but I just put that down to him being a lightweight because the problem's with somebody else, not me, obviously. And interestingly, it was around that stage. I remember quite like we'd maybe watch TV, and if I'd had a few drinks in the apartment, I would always fall asleep on his knee, or and so I'd miss the end of films, or I'd maybe get very paranoid actually and sort of pick fights. Well, why is your phone buzzing? Who's that text off? And I cringe, honestly, I cringe. But I I did become sort of anxious and paranoid. And I remember him saying, you know, he would get so frustrated. And he'd go, you shouldn't drink three words, right? And I remember them, like, cutting into my brain and sort of thinking, ooh. Would he say that when you'd had a drink? Or would he bring, say that to you when you were sober and perhaps could take it on board? No, always when I was picking a a fight or if I was being really, really oversensitive Um, irrational and just paranoid and he'd be like you just shouldn't drink and I wouldn't have anything to say I didn't know what to say back to that so I'd just ignore him and you know go to bed not speaking the next day it didn't happen never spoke about it and and then everything's fine until maybe a few nights later that might crop up again so I remember sort of thinking that's a bit problematic and not very pleasant but again I just thought well it's him it's not me that's that's his problem that he's saying I shouldn't drink what does he know I'm fine so we're still like late noughties here and I would be balancing my drinking with my exercise so I'd take part in like group exercise sessions sometimes on stage um I remember a couple of times drinking like late afternoon and then downing pints of water and then going on stage and doing these routines um uh, somehow I also remember like um, going for a good eight, ten kilometer run. I remember being really proud of the distance I was building for my evening jogging sessions and then coming home and sinking three, three large vodkas, bang, 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 in quick succession within an hour and sort of thinking, I'm undoing all my good work, but then thinking, well, I've done the good work. I've been good, so now I can be bad. And You're allowed to, aren't you, if yeah. you've done all that before? It's like a reward, isn't it, really? Yeah, yeah. and then the bad didn't become bad. The bad just became... Well, you know, there's nobody here asking me what I'm doing, judging me. Yes, I have my husband casting me, you know, the occasional eyebrow. But I just thought, wow, as a grown-up, you can really do what you like. And again, I took that as quite a mantra towards the end of my drinking days. Well, I'm an adult. I'm in charge of what I do. I'll decide what I'm up to. Leave me alone. Quite defensive towards the end. But um, it sort of struck me at that time. You really can do what you want every day if I want to drink. I just drink. <laughs> so I think a lot of people are in that same boat where you think I can rebel against this a little bit if I want to. Nobody can t- tell me any different. I'm I'm a, I'm allowed to do it if I want to do it. That's absolutely fine. Yeah, and that's very much where I was. So I'm drinking quite a lot. When I'm drinking, I'm binge drinking. I'm smashing in one, two, three very fast. But it's not impacting my life majorly, and not anybody around me majorly. It's just a bit unpleasant. It's a bit unsavory but hey that's normal and that pretty much then brings into like a next chapter which was into the early 30s when we decided to start a family um it took a while but we got pregnant and uh, i didn't i didn't drink i'm doing air quotes right through my pregnancy but once or twice a week i would have 
um, a white wine spritzer. I would pour like a quarter or a half a glass of white wine, mix it with a fizzy tonic or lemonade and sip it across the whole evening. And I don't know why. I, it felt as though it was my right. I'm allowed. I can have that. I'm being really good. I'm not drinking. I'm not smashing things in the way I have been for the last decade and a half. But I did maybe at least every week, every other week, have one glass of white wine spritzer. I don't know. Was I trying to rebel? I don't know. But I, I, it was pointless. I don't know why I did. It, I just, I suppose, wanted to feel like I was still me and able to enjoy, again, air quotes, enjoy a reward. I don't know. So that was my experience through that pregnancy. Um, and then she was born very early. She was a premature baby. And I probably should have had counselling for this. I've come to realise in the, in the following years because it just knocked me for six. She was born quickly. Woke up one Saturday morning feeling a bit off. I was 32 plus six, so um, she was seven weeks early. Uh, went into hospital by about lunchtime. And they were trying to hold things off, but my waters broke when I was being examined uh, that afternoon, about four o'clock. Um, we were given the decision, do you want to get in an ambulance to the neighbouring country, which has specialist neonatal care facilities, um, and risk having the baby in the ambulance on the way there, um, on the side of the road? Or do you want to stay here, have the baby, where you understand everything, and then have the baby you know, taken for special care in the neighbouring country later? Um, these are hard decisions to make when you're filling in paperwork and um, and in pain. So she was born quite quickly, thankfully very healthy, took a quick photo and then watched her being bundled in an incubator into an ambulance in the dark to, um, to the neighbouring country. Um, and I was told I could not go in the ambulance with her, nor me or my husband, and we would have to make our own way there um, either straight away or the next morning. Um, so I went home that night feeling absolutely lost, completely bereft, let family know, um, physically still having all the signs of having just had a baby. And then the next morning we drove there, tried to find the hospital, tried to find the unit, you know, with language barrier. Um, it was absolutely a terrifying experience. She was away for a month where I had to travel 15 miles to take expressed milk and see her every day, including Christmas Day and drive 15 miles back. And um, in just the few days after she was born, I had to learn how to use um, a breast pump to express milk. And I would be doing this and learning how it works. And my child was in a different place and my husband and I were sat in our front room, just me and him. I've allegedly had a baby, but there's no proof of that baby in the house. I ain't got anything in my arms. People who are pregnant at the same time as me are still very pregnant. I didn't really know what I was doing. I'd finish expressing milk and think, well, I'll have a drink. Why not? There's nothing here for me. It was, it was a really strange time. And so I would express, 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 pop the milk in the fridge, ready to drive the next day, the 15 miles to visit my child in an incubator and then have some drinks. And I took it steady because hadn't drank all through pregnancy, but it crept up and you know, it, I'm not proud. There would be a time I'd be able to set off the next day, lunchtime, to take that milk. And some of them I had to pour down the sink because they smelled of alcohol. The milk for my premature baby. Oh, do you know what? This, this is my um, this is my like deepest, darkest shame. You're doing absolutely amazing, <laughs> though, honey. Fair play to you. I had to pour the milk away because gradually I'd be drinking as I was expressing milk because everything just felt so confusing and like pointless and there was a language barrier I'd be turning up and I always felt like the nurses were really hostile to me and I wonder if probably I smelled of alcohol probably they just looked at me and thought who is this mess I didn't know if the milk was getting to the baby they were giving her vitamins one day and the milk was bright yellow and it took me some conversations to work out they were adding vitamin drops but I felt like there was a quite a hostile environment every day I arrived to see my baby not understanding the signs not understanding they've done a, a heel prick test on her like why is there a plaster why is that milk yellow and you know it, that was a really really challenging time but I, I just leaned each evening into drinks because the, because why not because there's nobody here I've got nothing what's the point of an evening you know that's probably at that my... point I can imagine it going from you know those positive um, thoughts when you were 
you know, 15 and just having a, a the odd vodka to actually yeah. I'm leaning on this just to get me through because it can do that, can't it? It can, it, <laughs> that's the main reason why people drink is yeah. to, you know, get you through a, a time. Yeah. Medicating, self-medicating, and it is around that time. Um, and I always think this is the most ironic thing that a lot of people's drinking ramps up women's drinking when they have kids because, oh my God, here you are, so responsible for this overwhelming, beautiful little life. And we, we end up leaning into the thing that's the least helpful or the most damaging at all. So um, she came home from hospital. She got stronger. She did well. Um, we got into a routine. I was diagnosed with an autoimmune thing that made me really fatigued and got treatment for that. And we, you know, we were getting into our stride when... Um, bang very soon after we found out we were pregnant again which was a blessing a shock we thought, oh my god you're not supposed to get pregnant so soon after having a premature baby my brain was all over the place let alone my body but went through that pregnancy had lots of regular checkups didn't drink through the pregnancy again maybe I had the the white wine spritzers here or there um, I went on to have the second baby so two kids um, one 15 months old and a newborn and bearing in mind we've still emigrated and I have no family at all around me and um, and that is the whole new world that is where mummy wine culture comes in or even your own parents oh my gosh that sounds like such a tricky day I can't believe you're up six times in the night pour yourself a nice big glass of wine why don't you put your feet up and have a G&T so well-meaning comments will you know um, if enable you yeah yeah, facilitate that, exactly. We get into life as a family of four, and um, and I'm drinking, and I think I'm managing it. I don't know, because I'm up and down, up and down all night with the kids. And around this time, I changed jobs, and I managed to land a, a job I've always wanted, and I start to discover that I'm actually quite good at it. And then that turns into, instead of a, a weekly job, it turns into a part-time job, and over the next couple of years, it turns into a full-time job. And I can't believe my luck. I'm thinking, I've got a whole new career, this amazing career in an amazing job. And I've got these two beautiful, healthy kids. We bought our own house at that stage and had got married. Don't ask. I, it was all within about two years. <laughs> Everything was a real blur. And I found myself in this amazing career. And I have like imposter syndrome at that time. I'm thinking... I ain't good enough for this. How am I pulling this off? Oh my God, I've got my dream. Like everything is amazing. And yet I felt so overwhelmed with everything. And I think this is something I really want to highlight. And I do think some people might um, resonate with. I didn't have a rock bottom. If anything, I was peak of my game. I was killing yeah. it at work. I had an amazing, great job. And my kids were healthy and doing great with their development and the nursery and my husband and I were close and the house was looking great. And I, everything was, I didn't have a rock bottom, I had the opposite. But I was thinking, God, this drinking is like just getting in the way every night and back and forth. We'd press play to watch something and I'd be in and out because I would smash my drinks in quickly. I'd be in and out, in and out to the fridge. My husband would keep pressing pause, pressing pause. And this leads me into what I was going to describe as what my routine was pretty much in the, the years coming up to giving up drinking. Because we're now 2015, 16, 17. We're around that stage now. I'm mid-30s. And drinking is now a daily thing. It's my right. It's my reward. You ain't challenging me. It ain't bothering you. I will drink every night. And the other thing I was going to mention, Claire, is... Um, you know, there's talk of quantities, and I think I've heard other podcasts saying you have to be really careful um, about describing how much you drank, because I will hear people saying, oh, I got up to a whole bottle of wine a night, and I sit there, Claire, and I think, sod off, I drank a bottle to start, then I sank four large double gin and tonics, a bottle yeah, of wine. That was just the start of that bottle of wine, what are they talking about? One <laughs> bottle, what's your problem? I'd smash that in 20 minutes, Claire. One, two, three, three glasses, done, now let me get onto the good stuff. Midweek, I had no time for wine, it was too diluted. I was on hard spirits by this stage, and so my routine would be that, like up and down through the night, sort the kids, sort work, juggle the house, remember no family support, sit of an evening smash several glasses in I was gaining weight at this stage as well um and my husband this is where my husband would be going are you having another one don't you think that's enough for tonight and I and I just found it so irritating don't challenge me don't question me literally like this is my medicine and the other thing I remember Claire is getting frustrated with 
the bottle of alcohol because it would just keep running out. I would buy a bottle, a litre bottle, and after three days, it was bloody empty. What use is that to me? I remember getting like cross at the bottle because I would smash in a litre every three days. And again, this is hard to admit, but also textbook. It would annoy me so much that it would run out. I didn't want my husband to see me keep buying stuff. So I would buy a bottle and maybe hide it. And I didn't like that. I was really uncomfortable with that. I only did that a handful of times. And I, I had a, a sneaky bottle maybe at the back of my shoe rack in the bottom of the wardrobe. I didn't want him finding it, kind of him questioning me. But I would just top that bottle up a bit so it looked like I wasn't drinking quite as much as I was. And then I'd think, hang on a minute, I'm drinking double then what I was. And I was already drinking a lot. And I remember just being not happy, not comfortable with what the hell is going on. Sneaking, like I said, I didn't do that many times. But the few times I did, I was just frustrated that the, the bottle wouldn't last me long enough. I couldn't go to bed without feeling drunk I couldn't I told myself I can't sleep unless I've had a drink I can't possibly go alcohol free because I can never get to sleep I'm awake half the night therefore I'm never going to be able to go to sleep without a drink it's just a nightcap and I was fooling myself so at this point did you try and have a couple of nights off did you try and or was you still like I'm still fully fledged here I want to carry on drinking as much as 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 I am or were you like actually I'm going to try and have a couple of nights off or try and moderate or... Yeah, good question. And I would try, and I would try so hard. And like many people, I'd wake up and think, oh, God, I feel like crap again. Get up, get through the day. That's it. I'm going to have a few nights off. This looks problematic. I'm not drinking tonight. And and I also always prided myself, get this, because of listening to other people's stories, which I was starting to pay attention to, uh, drinking stories. I didn't fit that stereotype of hitting the wine at five o'clock during the kids' dinners. I never drank until about... 10 o'clock at night and then I would smash it in within about an hour I would drink heavy in that hour before bed and I would think that's it that's it that's it tonight tonight for sure I'm a clever person I'm quite intelligent I'm surely able to just simply not bring a glass to my lips how hard can that be and it was so so hard I just couldn't and some nights and I'd be sitting there literally clenched fist we're trying to watch something on tv I'm trying not to make a big deal I didn't mention to my husband I'm trying not to have a drink tonight but I could hear it calling me. If there was a bottle in the f- in the kitchen, it, it would be calling me. I'd be like, come on, you've got to half ten now. You might as well just... Because I would drink so fast. It's almost like I told myself it didn't happen. It's not over a long period of time. You're not starting at sort of half twelve in the afternoon and not drinking anything but alcohol. It's like, right, I can just bam a few away late on. Nobody knows, really. No. Exactly. It's an hour before bed. You know, I might be having um, conversations with family. I might be completing something he's doing for tomorrow. But that hour before bed was my witching hour. So a lot of people say they've got that five o'clock witching hour. Not for me. It was that run up to bedtime where I'd think, come on, I deserve a reward. And that is key, which we'll come on to in a bit. It's challenging a lot of things because just finally taking away the idea alcohol can be a reward it simply isn't it's simply harmful and I just hate how normalized the idea of it is as as a reward but of course for people who can moderate like my lovely husband who will drink two beers with the football and then move on to a glass of cordial or fizzy drink or coke later and I sit there and I think what are you doing those beers were pointless (laughs) and how do you do it how do you sit on a on a beer for like an hour and because I was exactly the same. I, you know, once I'd started drinking, it wasn't going on to a coffee or, you know, a squash or whatever else. That was it for the day. Yep, you're in, you're in. As I said, the mummy wine culture perpetuated this. You share memes like, oh, we're all drinking to cope. It's so hilarious. And But I knew at this stage, so 2017, 18, 19, I'm thinking... Ah, oh, I think I've got a problem. Check on the NHS website, do those quizzes, barely bother getting to the end because they're all screaming at me, you need to cut down, you're drinking three times the units, you should be four times the units. And in the end, I think I sod off. I'd, again, I would get cross at the quizzes, I would get cross at the NHS advice, I would get cross at the bottle <laughs> for not staying full. But it, it was around this time I was thinking... Ah, something isn't good here. I really hope I grow up soon and get a grip on this. I think I was hoping it would magically happen, Claire, and it doesn't come along. It doesn't magically happen because, as we know, it gets worse. It does get worse over time. It doesn't automatically go away like a phase because, and again, this is what helped me finally get sober, the stuff is highly addictive. It's not you. 
it's the substance and that sentence blew my mind because I thought oh my god I'm not crap I'm not a weak person I am actually clever it's the simple substance is like um, a massive net over you so just to bring it back to the timeline 2020 COVID hits and by the nature of my job I'm classed as an essential worker which means I leave the house every day and I walk through empty streets I get to work we try and go through the motions no one knows what to do you know anyway everyone remembers how terrifying that was um and I class myself as an essential worker perfect excuse to sink my drinks of an evening because reward reward look at me being a hero going out to work every day when you lot are slumming it at home (laughs) you know and again just thinking that was a bit of a justification um for it then but um here's another key moment at this point my husband writes me an email and I sort of froze and I felt sick because I thought we don't email each other (laughs) about anything and in that email was about four paragraphs loaded with words of love and reassurance um, but effectively saying I am so worried about you the amount you drink is not normal I'm worried what this is doing to your health long term I want to help you. I really think you need to challenge this. Let's see if we can make a change. Oh, and I just felt, honest to God, nausea. You know, like if someone's breaking up with you, it felt like that. I thought, oh my God, I'm totally being called out. I suppose the Americans would call that like an intervention, right? And um, and I reread it two or three times, feeling sick. And I messaged him and said, we'll talk later. Thanks for your email. (laughs) Already feeling a bit defensive. Um, Did you feel defensive? Yeah. <clears throat> Fancy calling me out on my thing. Right, it's none of your business. I've got this under control. I'm feeding the kids. I'm taking them to school. I'm bringing in money. Like, do one. It's none of your business was my um, instant sort of feeling. We briefly talked about it. Not a long, in-depth conversation, but it was me saying yes and correct and I'm going to try. And that was probably my first effort at properly doing more than two or three days. I would do about two or three days alcohol-free, almost just to keep him off my back up until that point, just to prove I didn't have a problem. My God, those two or three days would be massively difficult. You're like, okay, I'm doing it, but I'm not really doing it for myself. I'm doing it to prove a point. Yeah, leave me alone. I don't have a problem, that classic thing. I can go, uh, you know, two or three days, but Claire is getting more like one or two days. It was getting hard to do a day. It was hard to sit on the sofa and not drink. I found it almost impossible by this stage. So he was right. And I said, right, this is the summer of 2020. I was like, okay, I'm going to try. And I managed to get to, ready? You wait for it? 14 days. That's the most I had ever gone without alcohol. And I remember thinking, oh my God, I'm cured. I'm a saint. I'm such a hero, 14 days. I mean, I felt good for it, but I also felt every day like I was carrying a, a cross. <laughs> like I was, it was a major effort and it was for him. And It's just willpower is yeah. all, you, all you're basing that on. I'd see all these people, come and do a 30-day alcohol-free challenge. Just do 30 days. And I would sit there and think, I can't do 30 days. I can't do one. So just leave me alone. All you people thinking it's so easy to do. From that point on, though, I think doing those 14 whopping to me enormous 14 days alcohol free must have planted the seed it it just spoke to my real brain right the brain we're all born with before this stuff interferes that that told me that felt nice I quite liked that I think my sleep settled down I think I just was less bloated and I think it's hard to ignore those benefits even when you go back into drinking it's like a little light has been lit at the very dark creases at the back of your brain that thinks I want more of that. That was quite nice. Can we just do that more often? And then the rest of it, the big, huge bulk of your brain go, no, drink, drink, drink. And that's why um, it began to feel like a chore drinking sometimes. I knew that I'd be better without it, but I didn't know how to stop. And it was around this time that uh, Ruth had, you know, now gone alcohol-free and was talking about being sober and how amazing it felt. And do you know what I thought about that, Claire? I thought... Oh, how perfect, good for her, how annoying, you know, she's one of these perfect people, she's going to manage to find this magical key, but it's no bother for her, bet she hardly drank anyway, you know, God, rubbing it in, 
people who who like a drink and I again felt defensive and annoyed and actually get this at one point I remember that even thinking I felt a bit sorry for her I thought oh what a shame she can never have another drink god poor thing <laughs> joined a cult <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that mad when you think of it? No, it does. It definitely, I remember (laughs) feeling exactly the same. And I think there's certain, yeah, certain points that you're just like, why would you want to stop drinking? I remember saying that. Why would you want to stop drinking? What on earth are you thinking? Like, and that (laughs) obviously, as we know now, is more of a reflection on ourselves than it is of anything else. But you, you, I, I had exactly the same thoughts yeah. and feelings. A reflection on ourselves and society at that, you know. Anyway, so here I am now at this stage. So I'm, I'm, but I'm watching her with interest. I'm hearing her with interest and I'm finding I'm able to open up a bit to her and say, like, oh, I'm drinking a bit too much, but I'm going to have a couple of days alcohol free and sort of um, subconsciously admitting to her that I'm a bit stuck. And actually, that's a phrase I use quite a lot now. If I describe to people, you know, I say, I got stuck. I got stuck. (laughs) And um, I found her really um, encouraging. And what she wouldn't do is ask me, have you had any drinks this week? Were you drinking yesterday? But I would be allowed to sort of volunteer. Oh, my God, guess what? I'm three days alcohol-free, feeling really good for it. And I was now trying at this stage, uh, 2021, to to put together little blocks of alcohol-free days. I'd maybe have three or four days off and then drink for two weeks. But then maybe I'd have um, six days off, but cave at the weekend and drink for another, like three weeks, I'd get stuck. And But what I was doing was putting together these little windows of alcohol-free time, and I was feeling good for it, and I was watching Ruth carefully and hearing what she was saying and thinking, she's making that look achievable. And it was her that, you know, was suggesting reading Quitlet and reaching out for other resources. And that appealed to me, Claire, because there was no way on this earth I was ever going to approach any kind of medical professional I was never going to sign up to Alcoholics Anonymous Um, I live in a very small community I would know someone and I was never going to risk the shame the humiliation I was never going to admit that I was hiding this enormous heavy drinking secret to anyone so I suddenly sort of got a bit of a glimmer that maybe I can work a bit more on myself and it's at that stage that I was listening to um, Belle Robertson, tired of thinking about drinking, because what she did, and again, this is like a bit of a pivotal moment, and it's so simple, and I'm so grateful, and I hope to contribute like that. She had made available for free online a document that must be about 50 pages of A4, and she journaled her whole experience, day one, day two, day three, of how she felt, how she was tempted, how she was up, how she was down. And I devoured that like a manuscript. And I remember printing it off secretly. And then at home, when people were in bed, like a secret moment, reading it and, and drinking it in, if you excuse the pun. It's a new addiction, isn't it? It's like a new addiction. You like replacing one addiction with another addiction. You just want to, cons- well, I felt like I just wanted to consume all of that information. Yeah, Claire, because here was a woman, my sort of age, clearly quite clever and with all of her brains intact and holding down a career that was admitting in black and white that she couldn't stop drinking and that she detailed the difficulties and put it there in real words I could read, a stranger on the internet, that she found it hard too. And it got me listening to more of her stuff and I found her approach so sensible and mature and gentle as well. And, it, and I started listening more and more. At that stage, I remember thinking... I want this, I'm really keen. And again, bear in mind, by now I'm putting together mini blocks of maybe 10 days. I got to double figures again. I was doing like a 10-day block of alcohol-free. So so at this point, what was the hardest thing about stopping drinking? So you've done your 10 days. What would make you go back to drinking? Did you always know, I'm just going to do it for like a few days or what made... and thinking I'm in charge of me so if I want to I can (laughs) I don't think I've ever realized how defiant and defensive I am but but it would be I'm gonna have a reward no one's gonna stop me and then almost the minute I would start I'd think oh what am I doing so once you'd done those 10 days Mm. and then you drank that day how did that make you feel that oh, day? Well, it's a write-off. I'm just crap. I'm totally useless. I'm very weak. That's me gone for another three weeks. I'm going to have to drink every night again now and get it out of my system because I obviously can't say no. The problem's obviously with me. 
and um, and just that cycle of feeling really hopeless about it. But I was in that for about a year or so. But I was putting together alcohol-free stints. Um, I, I really was quite proud. I did um, you know, two lots of. I did another lot of fourteen days, and then drank and drank and drank. But then, and I reached my personal best. And this is only a few months before I quit for good. I did twenty days, and something about hitting the two zero just made me celebrate. Made me drink. So for me, 20 days was absolutely amazing. That was the longest I had ever reached. And then I just drank and drank. And Sounds like you did all of the hard work, really, <laughs> didn't you? Like you'd done all of the hard work because, you know, after that amount of time, you, the withdrawal would have been so much less, yeah. wouldn't it? You know, yeah. you would have had barely any withdrawal, particularly after like 20 days. Yeah. You knew by this point that going back was going to make you feel pretty rubbish. Yeah, but I didn't believe in myself that I could do it. And I didn't know where I was taking this. Did I, I didn't want to be sober, like one of them boring, awful sober people. <laughs> I can't commit to being off the stuff for life. Like, what am I actually doing? I don't know where I'm going with this. But you're right, I was undoing all the hard work every time. But I still maintain that at this stage... It was a it was progress to be putting together a few of those alcohol free. Absolutely, I think one we have to celebrate every sober day, whatever whatever that looks like, because tomorrow doesn't exist, does it? So every sober day is just amazing, isn't it? Yeah, and and I I would hope you know perhaps anyone listening might be at that stage, and I just think every attempt and every time I managed a, a block of sober time, it was letting that little seed at the very back crevice of my brain just just grow a little bit, just sprout a leaf, like just take root mm-hmm. and just. And it sounds like you were fighting against yourself, really. Oh, and I have been half my life, it seems. <laughs> so, by the way, it must have been around here that I remember having a casual conversation with Ruth, and she went, "Ooh." Claire's given up alcohol, you know. She's been sober about three months. And again, I was just like, ugh. (laughs) Good for her. (laughs) I remember feeling, like, just, again, irritated. Like, but you love a drink. You always love a glass of wine. How could she give up? She's probably the closest drinker on surface value from what I would know. Like, you look like you really enjoy a drink. How on earth have you found that magical thing that makes it go away how do you stop this stuff and i just remember again and and, and people like that enable you don't they they enable you because you do like we compare ourselves you know to the people that have stopped drinking equally you know when you are drinking you compare yourself to you know the the people that that do drink i've got a, a family member that whenever we got together it was always like wink at each other for four o'clock, one o'clock. She's a highly intelligent mm. lady that's, you know, got a fabulous career and she's got absolutely everything going for her. And I'm thinking if she can drink as mm. much as she does, that absolutely enables me to drink as much you you do you just naturally you know compare yourselves the good the bad and the ugly really but what you don't see is that person at four or five o'clock in the morning we don't see is that person running to the toilets to vomit at work and then carry on with their job and pretend they haven't vomited at work the stuff the very next day all of that is very hidden there's so much secrecy there's so much shame that people hide incredibly well because we want to fit in with the culture and the culture absolutely so much thinking about it i mean if if we just going you know reiterating through your story there's a lot of time and effort that's 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 being thrown into drinking or not drinking drinking or not drinking that's why the title of bell robertson's podcast got me tired of thinking about drinking i thought yeah yeah i am anyway so that led me on to um finding this naked mind because i tried out a few of other resources that that ruth had recommended and that i think you've spoken well of but they just didn't resonate with me i didn't like them for whatever reason just the way it goes isn't it so there were a few you know um podcasts or or bits that she recommended that i didn't quite like but guess what i was still typing them in i was still reading it and seeing what i thought of it so again i was being sober curious i think is the phrase isn't it? i was researching and just thinking well what what are they saying do i agree so that was still good but for me it was finding this naked mind with annie grace which looked at science and fact but also 
there were two main messages because I listened to the audio podcast which was the best part of like 14 hours (laughs) I listened to that walking to and from work to and from work and I did that over several weeks because then I went back to the beginning and listened to it all again and I'd be listening to it while I was chopping vegetables in the kitchen on my headphones so nobody would know that I'm trying to tackle this thing but there were two main things that she said and we've touched on it already one the problem is not you it is the substance I thought my god I just always assumed I'm crap but it's it's more addictive than I realized Claire I always thought to be addicted to something was in that moment I didn't realize you could be addicted to something how could you be addicted to something and go all of like 14 hours all day without it and then go back to it that night surely addiction means you're on it you're on it you're on it constantly so it was just a revelation to think it's that powerful oh bloody hell it, it's addicting me it's pulling me it's not my fault it's the, the, the substance so that was an absolute revelation to me but the second thing as well is it, it said um yeah about rewiring your brain and challenging the idea of it being a reward it is not a reward the, the it's just a few words right without desire there's no temptation you know rishi sunak could be speaking to me but I'm not that interested in Rishi Sunak I'm not bothered about him so I'll take it or leave it now if Enrique Iglesias right lovely (laughs) lovely lovely singer Enrique Iglesias is sitting there talking to me I'm going to want to listen I'm totally invested I'm there do you know what I mean and it's that so you need to make alcohol become like Rishi Sunak other politicians are available (laughs) just uh, and it was that it's the idea that if you don't fancy something you're never going to crave it I'm never going to get to 10 o'clock at night and think I need to speak to Rishi Sunak I just need it you know what I mean taking that out of it taking away all of that um warmth and and conditioning actually is the word was key I just thought well that makes complete and utter sense so you know there's no positivity then is there there's no you know romanticizing over it there's no yearning over it it's just exactly you just don't want it isn't it amazing that like that quote that Mm. you have obviously completely resonated with is just so powerful and these are the tools that you can use um because people have asked me, well, how have you become sober? And my very clear answer, like yours, would be would be that quote, I'm guessing. Mm. Mine is, you know, y- you have got to want to be sober more than you want the alcohol. Mm. Yeah. Essentially, it's wanting to be sober. So where you're white knuckle- knuckling it for those 10, 14, you know, 20 days at a time... You're still wanting the alcohol, and yes. that's the problem, isn't it? Exactly. But when you get to the point that you don't want the alcohol anymore because it is a Rishi Sunak, <laughs> that is when you start, if you're talking about like a, getting that golden ticket, that's the golden ticket, isn't it? Yeah, but that's the beauty of sober podcasts, sober literature. You can read it in your own time, you can listen on your terms, and you can take what you want. Some bits you might think, mm, I'm not sure I agree with that, that doesn't fit me. But other bits, you'll hear a nugget and think, I'm going to put that in my back of my brain, I'm going to keep that one, that's useful to me. And again, I don't identify with words like grey area drinker, problem drinker, alcoholic. I'm not interested in labels. Again, don't label me. <laughs> <laughs> defensive um, I don't want none of that and I don't want to work this out myself and so I was able to then just start adding bits and pieces from those two main um, sober coaches if you like who made a lot of their stuff available for free which is a massive help I was able to take those things and just start rewiring my brain so it was June of 2022 19th June that was my last day one I didn't know it'd be that day. I thought I was in for another, you know, seven-day stretch or something with any luck, maybe a 10-day stretch. And I just did another day, and I did another day, and I did make a big deal of it in front of my husband, and then I did another day went by, and I reached 20, Claire, danger zone. Ooh, I've reached my... And I've only done that once in my adult life before. But it felt different, and I thought, mm-mm, still don't want to talk to Rishi Zunak. Oh, my God, I've got to drop that as my analogy. <laughs> but I thought, no... I like it, though. <laughs> The desire had had quelled, it had squashed, and I thought, I don't know where this is going, I don't know how long I'm doing this, but I'm willing, I'm, I'm in, I want to give this a go, I feel better. Now physically, what I didn't realise, um, some of the benefits of those early sober days was how much anxiety I was shouldering. I was suffering massive anxiety, Claire, and I just 
adopted it. I just carried it around thinking well, that's, that's what being a grown-up is. That's just stupid old me. I, I would be really jumpy. I would lie awake with um, insomnia on the few nights I wouldn't drink. I was beginning to suffer like night disturbances. I would sit bolt upright in bed panting and panicking and it just eased away. And a lot of the physical stuff like that, I did realise I was becoming quite physically um, dependent and, and it was so amazing to watch some of those things ease away. And like the weight, it was like someone took a weighted blanket off my shoulder and I thought, huh, that was anxiety. I didn't know I was under that. I didn't know I felt so constantly on edge and worried. And it's all the juggling and the guilt and the shame. And I was able to sort of just slide it off my shoulders and think, that's not mine. Don't, don't have to carry that around. And just, it just became like a new habit. And do you know, when I look back at my journals, because I did keep a track of everything really it was only that first month by the time I'd got into month two I was a lot more in control and I really was over the worst of it and I just sort of think god all those years ago if, I, if I'd realized for me personally it was only going to be about two months of discomfort <laughs> and learning god wouldn't it have been nice to nip it in the bud but on the other hand I wasn't ready so um, yeah I just took it day by day I set up an Instagram account after three months and I found that really um good like an anonymous one really but I started joining the sober community adding contacts on there sharing observations sharing a first my first Christmas my first Mother's Day which by the way both of those I found quite triggering and I did lean on alcohol free drinks I found them for me personally to be very very helpful in just nipping that in the bud for an hour or so when I felt twitchy and I, I just found building up that sober account on Instagram really helpful uh, just being I, I scroll it every night before bed I feel like I sort of check in see what's happening with other people and guess what they're all my sort of age they're all clever they all got bought into that lie that it's normal and it's a reward and that it's good for you and it's mummy culture and all this and I see other people sort of what's the phrase like recovering out loud and if you feel like a craving I, I identify and go oh I'm having a craving oh I feel twitchy Whereas I never did that in the past. And so I reached a year um, sober, so June 23. And to me, that felt really significant. And I surprised myself by like coming out on Facebook. <laughs> and I got a tattoo on my finger, a big S for sobriety. And I just like that every time I look at it, it reminds me it's one of the best things I've ever done for myself because now I'm modelling healthy behaviour in front of my children. You know, at one point in those last few years, we went to a supermarket and my youngest daughter went skipping away to help. She brings me eggs, she goes and gets milk. And she comes along and goes, Mummy, here's your favourite bottle of wine and put it in the trolley. And I just remember pausing and thinking, oh, I don't like that. And again, that just was one of those things that that added to it and what I like is the kids know what the word sober means um you know they're, they're 10 and 11 and they know that it just means alcohol free and do you know what Claire they take alcohol free to be just the same as like gluten free oh right you're someone that avoids something for the for, to make you feel better and they totally accept that and I, I like that they know what that word means and that they don't see alcohol around the house all the time and yet they know if we go out to a restaurant or there's a celebration alcohol is there and I almost pride myself on that I'm still generally <laughs> this is a bit bizarre but I'm fairly pro drinks for other people I like to smell wine I'll top up someone else's glass I like to see people enjoying it sensibly the moderately people, yeah the people that I assume I mean we don't know but the people I assume are just drinking it moderately and haven't been hooked on that stuff and got addicted I enjoy here yeah, have a glass oh would you like a cold something of this you know I'm fairly I like to think I'm I'm all right to be around <laughs> that that just leads me to a question how do you think you've changed in the past year and a bit now <laughs> yeah here in a bit I'm calmer I'm just less anxious I think I can take things in my stride a bit better um I'm way more present for the kids. Although, may I just point out, I always thought I'd get sober, like if I ever got sober, if I could ever be one of those magical people, and I would spring out of bed like at half six, like they do on a Sunday morning and be wonderfully productive and start exercising. <laughs> I'm still in bed till 11 and I haven't got any of that. Like I'm still quite lazy in the mornings on a weekend. I really do you know thought... what though? A, a nice, lo sober lying where the bed's really comfortable <laughs> and why not? And you, you yeah. know, those are, those are the sort some of the nice benefits of it aren't they when you get like really comfortable and there's yeah. nothing to be worried about and you know what that's the nice bits of being sober isn't it yeah and I'll you can that. spend your time doing what you want to do and I think you know 
um, if I think about what sobriety has brought for myself, it's clarity. Mm. And I think, you know, we do so much as moms for other people. And, like, just lately, I've had some real times where I've gone, I don't want to do that. And it's so powerful. But I think because of the guilt and the shame and the, oh, well, I want to make everybody else happy because it enables me to have a glass of wine. If everybody else is happy, my my happiness is wine. So I'll take being unhappy and, you know, doing this activity that I don't really want to do because I'm allowed to have my wine later. Now I just say no to the activity that I don't want to do yeah. because I'm clear. I don't want to do that. So spending your time how you want to spend it is absolutely key, isn't it? And if you want to be in bed for at 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning, fair play to you. I know, I'll take it all day long. But I, I will just say, I did think I would start exercising at half six and that I would be at least three stone lighter by now. I have not <laughs> lost any weight, which I just felt swizzed. I really expected to just look stunning. And there was no confetti. Nobody comes knocking on your door and gives you a medal. But I mean, that's just silly stuff. But yeah, oh God, the list of benefits is absolutely enormous. I, I spend time doing mindful things now um, of an evening as you say you, you sort of put your own needs first a bit I'm modeling better behavior my husband is really thrilled and supportive as well he'll do that was my next yeah, question yeah he'll go to the shop and it's not we've never really discussed it all um he's probably terrified I'd bite his head off but <laughs> but you know he will buy me alcohol free drinks he supports it and he knows now and again it was a learning journey for him that I'm all or nothing and it's best for everybody if it's just nothing so he's been highly supportive in a very does he ask you any questions no and I don't volunteer anything <laughs> I've told you more than I've told him <laughs> <laughs> it's just been such a shameful secret for 25 years of my life since those first sips at 14 15 it just became such a big part of my life so what I hope going forward is that although I didn't drop three stone and look stunning um I like to think that my liver must be absolutely gorgeous right I <laughs> think my liver must be gleaming and I you know if you excuse the pun quite a sobering thought everybody in my family around me is well I have both my parents I have um my children at really lovely stages and I'm I know that in the future there will come major challenges and there will come huge things for me to deal with or I may change my job or have a loss or whatever another pandemic god forbid but I I know that there are challenges down the line and I now know I'm going into that true to myself calm with less anxiety where I'm able to sleep I nourish myself. No, I, I binge eat still. I still can be a bit all or nothing with food, which I think is very common, actually, with getting sober. But I, I feel peaceful and that I'm in a good place. And that every time I look at this tattoo on my finger, I think it's right up there. One of the best things I ever did for myself. And I did make it happen. I didn't have to wait for a magic unicorn to come along or, you know, a cult to swallow me up. That it, it is entirely possible. Now, I know that we're hoping to catch up with other guests who perhaps have been through AA or have had a, a rock bottoms or like completely different, unique experiences. I know that everyone's experiences are very different, but... I just think the more we talk about this stuff, we drag it into the light, we celebrate it without banging the drum and, and making people feel uncomfortable, but just normalising sobriety. And I think that's what I'm all about now, really going forwards. And I'm totally at peace with that. So one final question. When you think about alcohol now, what do you think about? How does it make you feel? <laughs> Maybe like an ex-partner, like, oh which is stupid you'd think oh it's good while it lasted it wasn't good it was toxic it was controlling it brought out the worst in me it was you know awful I'm I'm all right I'm all right I just know that it's it's toxic I just look at it now and I think that's so much more damaging than we realize and um I hope people don't get stuck I hope my children don't get stuck and that is the phrase I use I'm happy to see the alcohol-free varieties in the supermarkets and where I live. I just feel educated and I just didn't know that it was so addictive before. And then it just takes one or two, you know, life crisis moments of getting married, having a premature baby, having a second baby, getting an autoimmune disease, <laughs> moving house and doing all that within two years to make you go, boom, that looks like it might help me and get stuck. So... I know that that's not for me and it, it's just the nicest feeling to make peace with myself because I just 
blamed myself for so many years and I thought so little of myself buried under all of that anxiety and it it doesn't have to be that way it's such a revelation to think you don't have to be stuck with it it takes a lot of work every sober attempt helps every article you read every podcast that you listen to if it's causing you to feel that way if it's challenging you if you're going to bed every night and you're waking up and thinking god I'm not in control of this I want to change it then it, it really is possible and people that used to say that annoyed me I think it's possible for you but not for me but it, it's just been a revelation to think it doesn't have to dominate our lives and that that, that product is out there but it, you just have to be so careful how you handle it because it is just so highly addictive and life's just more peaceful and more enriching without and I hope to live a long and happy healthy life I'm hoping I ain't done too much damage for the last 25 years of absolutely pickling myself on it you know to the extent that I did um but this feels quite liberating to to say this out loud which I just never have and I just hope on some level it's useful to somebody somewhere thank you for listening to this episode of fizz free from Ruth Claire and Jane if you'd like to get in touch with the show, the email is fizzfreezero at gmail.com. You can also find us online at Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. Don't forget to follow the show and please give us a great rating to help spread the word. Fizz Free, your relationship with alcohol. Less fizz, more free. <laughs>